we continue today in our seven-part series in 1 John entitled Assurance and Encouragement in an Uncertain Age. Uh, we look at the first three verses today of chapter 3, only three verses, but as is so often the case, jam-packed uh, with good, good news. Uh, I'll read these words for us. I hope you'll follow along. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. Did you know that the genealogy and products services market is a multi-billion dollar industry? That fact must mean that everybody and their brother wants to know who they are and where they've come from. And I would guess that some television programs like PBS's Finding Your Roots is fueling some of that growth. I don't know if you've ever watched that program before. I find it very entertaining. Henry Louis Gates Jr. takes usually in his hour program about three celebrities, you know, a singer or an actor or someone like that, and, and, and does all of this research for them, and they go back sometimes 10, 15, even 20 generations. But even if you're not a celebrity, uh, we common people can get in on the act. You know, there are lots of companies out there that will sell you who you are or what your DNA makeup is. A few years back, Sarah gave me that gift for some special occasion, and I sent my swab off, and when it came back, uh, they told me that I was 43% English, Ben, and Northern Europe and 48% Irish, Scottish, and Wales, which is about my total makeup. And the reason we're talking about this business of who we are is because that's what John is referring to in our passage this morning. We didn't read the end of chapter 2, but if we had, we would have seen that John was reminding us of the fact that Jesus is going to return and he says we may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Talking about God. And this notion of being born by God leads John to demand here at the beginning of chapter 3 that we take the time to remember who we are because of what God has done. In verse 1 of our text, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The opening word there in the Greek that's translated as see is a form of the word from which we get our word idea. 
And it's the same word, basically speaking, as we see in John's gospel in his first chapter when two of John the Baptist's disciples asked Jesus where he's staying. And Jesus responds, come and see. Come and see. It's the same word that uh, we read a few verses later when Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth, referring to Jesus? And Philip says to him, come and see. There in John's Gospel, this is an important opportunity for these prospective disciples of Jesus. A time when contemplation is in order. They need to take the time to see who Jesus really is. And the same kind of weight is laid on this word in our text this morning. This word see calls us to stop and reflect and even wonder at the amazing eternal privilege that God has bestowed upon you and me. And this privilege hinges on the fact that we've been born of Him, and that's why we can enjoy being the benefits of His children. But the other reason we can enjoy these benefits is because in the way in which He's reached out to us in grace, He has adopted us as one of His own. We are called His children. Now, we don't see the word adoption in this text, but this is obviously what God has done, and it's confirmed for us in other places in the New Testament. Paul talks about it in Romans 8 and Galatians 4, that Galatians 4 passage where he says, When the time had fully come, God sent forth His Son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption. And even though he doesn't use the word here in our text, John speaks to this notion of adoption through the phrase, and so we are, that you see right there at the end of verse 1. As one scholar put it, this phrase is an act of legitimation in which a father names his child and thereby makes a permanent claim to identity and ownership. This identity is entirely in the father's hands so that the child's security is assumed. So in these three verses, John goes on to tell us some interesting things about our adoption. And the first thing he mentions is the one who made this adoption possible. See what kind of love the father has given to us. Notice John uses the word father there. He could have just as easily used God, but he chose father to stress the kind of relationship that we have. Even when we were children of wrath, as Paul labels us in Ephesians 2, God the Father has reached out to us in His grace and love and has given us His love and His power which transforms us into His children. And it's not just that God the Father does this, but it's also the nature of His love that is lavished upon us. John uses a very expressive word to show us the extraordinary nature of God's love. When he says, see what kind of love 
That word kind has behind it the idea of seeing from what country this love is. The point being that the Father's unmerited love, its motivation, its capacity, its abundance, its eternity, this love is so foreign to this world that John is marveling about it. And he's calling you and me to marvel about the same good news that's at work in our lives. A choice by none other than God the Father to reach out in love to you and me. You know, it's like I tell our young couples all the time in premarital counseling, love is not about a feeling. Love is, is a choice. Love is a decision. There are going to be days when you wake up and you don't want to love that person you're married to. And you've got to decide to do it. Well, John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It was a choice. It was a decision. Well, the second thing John mentions here about our adoption is the privilege this adoption brings to you and me that we should be called children of God. Going back to our first sermon in this series, we made the point that salvation is about being saved from our sins. It is about the good news of the gospel through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But salvation is more than just being saved, biblically speaking. The notion of fellowship, of which John speaks often in this letter, is the meaning, as John Stott puts it, of salvation in its widest embrace. We are privileged to be in the Father's family. To have Jesus as our brother, as Hebrews 2 makes clear. This fellowship with the Father and Son and our being part of His family is not something in the future, notice. It's part of our reality right now because John says, and so we are. He doesn't say, and so we will be. He says, and so we are. It's not fully realized, but it's part of who we are. In Romans 8, Paul speaks to this idea of being a child of the Father as he speaks to the gift of sonship. For he says, when we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit Himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs or joint heirs. With Christ. Now, if you're an attorney, you know what a joint heir is. You know, a joint heir, if you've got three siblings, and so there's four of you in the family, if you're all joint heirs, it doesn't mean you get 25% of what the father owns or your parents. It means all four of you own all of it together. And that's what the Bible calls you and me, joint heirs with Christ. Now, you and I may read those words. We may hear them from time to time, but we can't even begin to fathom what that really means. 
that we're joint heirs with Christ. Literally, that means that we will have all that He has. And so you have to ask the question, well, what does Jesus have? Well, according to John 13, 3, we read that God has given all things to Jesus. All things. Do you see what that means? Think about that spiritually. What does Paul tell us in Ephesians 1? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Not some spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's part of what you and I have as children of God. In another vein, do all things belong to Jesus? The right answer is yes. All things belong to Jesus. Do you see what that means? Paul gives just an inkling in 2 Corinthians 8 when he writes, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. Does Jesus have love and fellowship with the Father? The answer is yes. You can look at the whole high priestly prayer in John 17 for that answer. We could go on and on with these sorts of explanations and list what is, is ours as joint heirs with Christ. For example, there'll be glory and there'll be splendor and there'll be majesty and there'll be authority and there'll be power. The list is practically endless. All because of the fact that we are children of the Father and joint heirs with Christ. We don't have time to talk about all that today, but you get the idea. Third, John speaks to the fact that our adoption is not really known to the world. We see that at the end of verse 1. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. And if, if you wonder uh, why the lost don't know Jesus or recognize Him, Paul gives us an answer to that question in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the likeness of God. You see, this fact that the world doesn't know us and doesn't recognize us as children of the Father is in some sense part of the suffering we share with Jesus Christ. Just as He was despised and rejected, so are we at times despised and rejected. We're made fun of. We're misunderstood. Or we're just seen as nobodies in the eyes of the world. But that's okay because of what John says next about our adoption. If you're an outline kind of person, this is the fourth point. Verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. What? One commentator said that John gives us an apostolic confession of ignorance here. 
And I think that's great because, you know, it's, it's okay to say we don't know everything about the future. God has not revealed everything to us about the future. That's what John's saying here in this text. He doesn't know what we're going to be, but, but he does know that we're going to be like Jesus. You know, a very famous sentence in Romans 8 is verse 28. We know that in everything God works for good with those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And we usually are paying attention to the first part of that verse and how hopefully God's going to work some kind of good in our lives depending on what's happening to us at the particular time. Uh, But notice there in that verse how Paul is also talking about God's purpose who are called according to His purpose. What is God's purpose for you and me? He tells us in the next verse, Paul does. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God's purpose for you and me is to change us, to transform us, to become like Jesus Christ. And when that happens fully at the second coming, then that means that there will also be an immediate and unmistakable unity between us and God the Father. We know that because of Jesus' own words. Remember in John 10 how Jesus taught in the temple that day and said, I and the Father are one. So whenever we become like Jesus, that is when He appears, that will be true of you and me as well. You see, we're back to that concept of fellowship, once again, that John talked about in the prologue to this letter. And that he circles back again to again and again. And then the final thing that John tells us about our adoption is what it should be producing, this relationship. Look at verse 3. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. As we've seen from previous sermons in this series, John is very concerned with how his readers are living. We talked about last week how there's no sanctification without justification. There's no justification without sanctification, how they go hand in hand. It seems to me that John is doing much the same in this text. It's just that he's going about it in a little bit different way. He's saying, if you're hoping in Jesus Christ, if you believed Him when He said, I will come again and take you to Myself, that where I am you might be also, then there are practical implications associated with living this kind of life of hope. 
this life of hope should motivate holy living in everyday life because if Jesus is your Lord as well as your Savior, you know, we all want Him to be our Savior, but we sometimes don't want Him to be our Lord. Well, if He is your Lord and Savior, you will keep His commandments. You'll walk in the way in which He walked, uh, to use John's terminology. Uh, You'll walk in the light to use his terminology, you will seek to be pure. Now in Paul's letters, we can see that there are two sides to aiming for a holy or pure life. There's what you take off and there's what you put on. You know, and so, for example, Paul tells us in Colossians 3, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he lists several sins there and then summarizes, but put them all away. It's like we take off this old way of life and then when, when, and, and, and how that happens is that the power of God through his Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and transforms our hearts and we become a new creation. And so we no longer live with the old life, we put on the new. That God has enabled us to do. And with that newness, as John makes clear here, our hope is in Christ. We hope in Him, and because of that, we live with a confident expectation of the future. We live with a trust in God's faithfulness that He will do everything that He said He will do. And we live with the fruit of patience waiting on him to come as he promised. For as Paul tells us in Romans 8, for in this hope we were saved. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is your spiritual DNA. You want to know who you are? You're a child of God the Father. You belong to Him by His work. Not by anything that you've done. And that means your security is assured. You have an inheritance. Undefiled. Kept in heaven for you as Peter tells us. And you hope in the Lord Jesus. May the world see just that as you seek to live for him to his honor and glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.